to In Step with your hosts, Dr. Mike Martaccio and Deacon Jerry White. In Step is a podcast where we walk alongside the shepherds and ministers who walk alongside us here in the Diocese of Charleston. Today, we are delighted to have Father Gregory Wilson, pastor of St. Mary's Health for Christian, and also the Dean of the Aiken Deanery. Welcome, Father Wilson. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself as far as how long you've been a priest. Sure, sure. Well, it's great to be here. I, um, I've been a priest, it will be 20 years this June, so it's hard to believe it went by fast. <laughs> Where are some of the places you have served? So I, uh, as soon as I was ordained, my first assignment I was for almost exactly two years was at Christ Our King in Mount Pleasant. Uh, after that, I was a year and a half down as a parochial vicar at the cathedral and also helped out at uh, St. Mary of the Annunciation downtown. Uh, after that, I, I went up to Our Lady Star of the Sea for three years, uh, three months. I uh, was the administrator there and enjoyed that. Got to know that part of the state, which I really had not gotten to know much about. Made some great friends there. Uh, then after that, uh, for three and a half years, I had been transferred back to the cathedral. Um, and uh, then after the cathedral, I came here. So what would you say the variety of, uh, of different parishes has, uh, has taught you? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, you know, some of the, not only some of the diversity of the people, but also the extreme commonality it is uh, to be Catholic. Uh, because you can be Catholic everywhere, the same place. And so what I noticed, for instance, in my area, North Merle Beach, uh, we had people there, you know, from all over, especially the East, uh, but they would be from all over. Uh, but they came to Mass, cause, and they all came to one place. You know, it just, the Mass draws people like nothing else. But the same Mass uh, drew all of the, you know, draws all the people here, a lot of whom go back, you know, generations here in Aiken. So it's just, uh, you know, so not only the diversity, but also the great unity Mass brings. Well, being here in Aiken, you've been here a while. What do you, when you think of St. Mary Help the Christian, um, the family that's here, what, do you, what comes to your mind when you, when you think of the parish here? Gosh, yeah, um, you know, it's just, that's a very good question. <laughs> but yeah, my first thought uh, is just, it's just always been such a welcoming community. I've never had anything other than uh, people just being very open, uh, encouraging. Uh, they, you know, want to get on board with things, uh, you know, want to help. Uh, so much volunteer, uh, volunteerism here. I mean, I've seen that everywhere, but uh, but I've been able to, over 10 years, really see people really get into it in all kinds of ways uh, and give of themselves in a really beautiful way. As dean of the Aiken County, what, what is that role? What do, what do you do as the dean? So, right. So, dean uh, is uh, another way of kind of, uh, of referring to the what's called the vicar's foreign. That's why you have a little VF after it. Uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, the elected position Every three years or so, the, the priests of a deanery uh, elect uh, who they would like to be their representative uh, to the bishop uh, for various things, uh, various, especially the Presbyteral Council. And um, so I serve on the Presbyteral Council, I serve on the personnel board and on the college, in the College of Consultors. Uh, those are all parts of things that help the bishop as an advisory council. Has that given you a different perspective on uh, your vocation? Uh, I think it probably much more for the brotherhood aspect of priests. As my role here, I don't have any actual authority, right? <laughs> so <laughs> my role is actually to be the go-between and to try to help uh, priests be heard by the bishop, be heard by the uh, the rest, you know, the of the diocese, and and just try to help in any way that I can uh, in any anything the priest might need. So you mentioned the brotherhood of, of the priesthood. Uh, yeah. You weren't always a priest. That's uh, right. So can you tell us about, uh, you know, your, your uh, time growing up, your family, and, uh, and eventually your calling? Sure, sure. Well, my family is from South Carolina. I uh, was born in Greenwood, which is about an hour and 20 minutes away from here. I was raised in St. Matthews, which is about an hour and 20 minutes away from here. And, everything's uh, about an hour and 20 minutes away from here. Uh, so I was uh, born into a family that was not Catholic. And the last of four children, there were two girls and then two boys. And uh, so my real memory is growing up in St. Matthews. That's a small town, today less than 2,000 people. Uh, it was about 3,000 when I was growing up there. 
Uh, it was a bigger industry was there at the time. So what led you to the Catholic Church? Well, that's a very good question. So I'm growing up in a county with no Catholic churches, but there were some Catholic families in the county, and a few of them, of course, went to the uh, parish, I mean, went to my school, excuse me. Uh, for them to go to Mass, they had to go to either Orangeburg, which is the usual thing, or people who were Catholic lived in the upper part of Calhoun County had to go to Columbia. And so my uh, you know, experience I had, uh, the, the Flintons and the Williamses especially were big Catholic families in St. Matthews. And one of the kids, Michael Flintum, uh, we were in fifth grade and we had a prayer uh, that we had every day. Yeah, but at the end of the prayer one day, he made the sign of the cross, which I'd never seen him do before, at least noticed. And, and so afterwards I went and asked him about it. You know, well, you know, what was that? Why did you do that? And he said, well, I'm Catholic. So you know, he, at the time I found out later, of course, he's going through confirmation. It was earlier at that time, and uh, he was going through, you know, to be a good soldier for Christ, and, and he was doing a good good job with that. So I went home and looked it up in the encyclopedia, you know, Google for my day, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, looked up uh, Catholic, it said see Roman Catholic, so I looked that up, I read the article, and then I put it away uh, for a while, and I kept being drawn back to it, and so I would go back to reading that, that article again. What I did is planted a seed, you know, an awareness of the fact that there's this other church. And so I began to see, to notice the Pope on television. You know, of course, at the time now, it's John Paul II, right? He's going everywhere across the whole world. And uh, he's so visible and so personable. And people, you know, you felt like you knew him, even if you weren't Catholic. I kind of saw him as like the president of all the churches, right? You know, even my Methodist church that I was growing up in. And so uh, I was... You know, continuing on, there were some great, wonderful things in between. But finally, when I was in college, uh, I spent my first year of college at Erskine College in Due West, South Carolina. Uh, so go fleet and uh, <laughs> the flying fleet. Uh, a tiny college, but then I went to a tiny high school. Uh, well, actually, it was a school, you know, K through 12. I was graduating class of 37. So now I'm in a college of 500 students, which for me is huge. Uh, Got settled in, it was great, uh, met some Catholics there. But mainly we got into, I got into a debate uh, with a Lutheran about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, which I really knew nothing about. I mean, I grew up Methodist, uh, but I had never been baptized and we never really went to Sunday school. So the only thing I picked up was from what I heard. And I can't tell you why, I still can't quite tell you why, except that God wanted me to be a priest. I believed that what I was receiving was Jesus because he said it, this is my body, this is my blood. And you can't not use those words. They're there in the scripture, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so this, uh, the guy who's a Lutheran, uh, he, he said, well, you know, Methodists don't believe that. His family had been Methodist. They don't believe it's actually Jesus. They believe it's just a symbol. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I've been a Methodist for 17 years. I think I would know. And of course I had no idea, right? So I just said it so, so boldly and I left his room. I went across the quad and down into the uh, library. I pulled out the Methodist Book of Discipline and looked it up and he was right. And they go, in fact, in, in their book there, which is kind of a catechism canon law for Methodists, uh, they go to great lengths to talk about it. it is merely a symbol, it's only a symbol. And I remember reading that that night and I closed the book and said, well, I don't think I could be Methodist anymore. I didn't believe that. Now, did they, were you uh, did the Catholics immediately come to mind, or no. did that take some time? Yeah, that's a great question because the Catholics didn't immediately come to mind at all. Uh, I had to figure out that who believed this, right, and and who believed what I believed. And so, as I began looking and reading through things, my friend had been Lutheran, and so they have some sense of a real presence, but not you know transubstantiation, right? And I didn't even know what that really was. Uh, so I, I began to look, and then I transferred to the University of South Carolina. So my brother and I, who was also at Erskine at the time, we both transferred at the same time, and I was pursuing a degree in biology and you know, wanted to do graduate work, and that's the best place to go after that. Uh, though I'm one, wonderfully glad that I was at Erskine for that first part. And uh, so there it takes me about a semester to get my you know, sea legs, and then eventually I meet my first, what I call my first Yankee friend, uh, his name was Sam. He was from New Jersey. 
Uh, the great thing about people from New Jersey, they don't let you get away with anything, right? So. Oh, I uh, thought that uh, <laughs> people around here tell me the, the great thing about people from New Jersey is when they go home. No, 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 oh, okay. no. I have, I have a great affinity for my I'm, northern I'm friends. From, I'm from New England. So oh, okay. I have a great affinity for my northern friends for many reasons. One, not the least of which, is because he's the one that got me to walk into a Catholic church. Hmm. You know, I grew up thinking, you know, well, I knew kind of this kind of you know, cloud about Catholics, but it's a place you didn't go into. You know, you weren't supposed to go inside. And which church was that? Uh, so the first one that I remember, that I really remember walking into, St. Joseph's in Columbia. Hmm. That's the one I would end up joining, uh, going, I should say, going through all the sacraments and, and becoming Catholic. So, and so we, we were trying to, he had a rosary, he wanted to have it blessed. And so he was dragging me along in all these different churches. And I was happy to go there. And, um, and so we finally ended up at St. Joseph's and I uh, walked in and there was just something about the place I couldn't explain. And also too, they had this odd smell in the air. I didn't realize that it was first Friday and they had just done benediction. Uh, of course, by the time we were there, it was like one or two o'clock, and the place was you know, closed down. But uh, and we just had that lingering smell. But I just felt a real, <laughs> real presence there. Um, anyway, so as uh, he kind of got me to you know do a little more reading, I began to read more. Eventually, that's when the Catechism came out at the same time. So I got that. I was reading through that, and uh, so in 1992, that. Um, uh, fall, I started RCIA at St. Joseph's. It was a wonderful program. Uh, now at the time, they were still trying to figure out how RCIA worked, right? It's kind of still kind of new in many ways. And so since I hadn't been baptized, they wanted me to do a full year of catechumen and then a full year of, you know, of going through the process. So they called it inquiry first and then it'd be a catechumen anyway. Um, which, you know, I said, fine. I was still in the early part of uh, my college days. But uh, to make a long story short, which is uh, not true, I, uh, <laughs> I, I finished going through, and on uh, April 2nd of 2000, I mean, sorry, not in 1994, April 2nd, 1994, uh, became Catholic. So the Grand Slam, as uh, Scott Hahn calls it, uh, baptism, uh, confirmation, Eucharist, and I'm home. <laughs> well, what was there somebody that mentored you along the way to become a priest? So yeah, the priesthood thing, you know, How did that sort of about? grew up a little bit separately, and but at the same time, it was beginning to answer a lot of questions for me. Uh, so, you know, even when I was growing up as a Methodist, I had this kind of you know idea that I wanted to do something that would help people. Right, so which is yeah really vague, right? And you know, that's why you chose biology. Biology, okay. right? You know, well, you know, my idea and what I was really interested in, not so much being a doctor, but um, research, yeah, uh, okay. particularly okay. immunology and epidemiology, okay. which is kind of funny for today, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, which I'm still very interested in all of that, and, I, and and it has all proved immensely helpful. I mean, I, I got my degree in it, and. So when stem cells, they started talking about that, I knew what they were and yeah. could help people understand better the difference between you know, adult and embryonic and all that. So, so God always uses everything, you know, everything we have, everything we've been through, all of our experiences. Yeah. Um, Can yeah. you say more about that? Because I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome insight, that, that God uses our, our experiences and, 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 and in ways that we, that we don't know. And I just see that happening. In, and so many people ministering so right right well like i said with my own self you know the that, that biology degree all that you know continued to help me understand that better so when you know people start talking about these things uh including stem cells and you know where life actually is beginning and what dna is <laughs> and rna you know I, I can actually help them understand it better because you know god comes into all that he created all of this so of course he's going to be part of all of this um, but, uh, you know, my, my brother who became a deacon, who also became Catholic and became a deacon, and he has a law enforcement background and, you know, and, and especially fraud investigation. And I know God is using that in many ways and helping him prepare his homilies and things like that. Uh, but he, it doesn't matter what we've had, but everything. 
So you brought that up, uh, and I right? was skipping ahead. <laughs> so what it what is it like to have kind of uh, uh, two two clergy in the in the, in the same uh, in the same family, a deacon and, and a priest. and a family that's that's Methodist, you know. Right, right. right. So yeah. we you know we almost have to back up. <laughs> so you became you you became a priest and when? So I, I became a priest. Uh, I was finally ordained uh, on June 9th of uh, two thousand and one. And was there a person that sort of mentored you along that way, or was right. it just you just it was just something that you pursued it you know so yeah getting back to that question it was because that's an important one um i had that vague idea of wanting to help somebody and and i was talking to the choir director at saint joseph's and we were up in the choir loft and looking down and you know and i was just talking about how i kind of you know just i don't know exactly what i was saying but something about enjoying you know what the priests were doing she said well maybe you should think about being a priest and it was just that simple thing, you know, I mean, people say that, you know, that we need to tell people that, but it really is that simple sometimes. Somebody just needs to... Just that invitation? Give you the invitation, yeah. yeah. And that's what I needed, and, and that's exactly what I went. So, um, so you know, Monsignor Roland uh, was yeah. there at the time, just a wonderful, you know, good, solid role model, very, you know, like, he's, you know, not, you know, two up or two down, he's, right. he's right there, you know, he's great, and he was always just a solid rock for me throughout my formation. Now, how did all yeah. of this play with your family? So, uh, beginning, yeah, we'll get my brother in a second. Yeah, that's but, what uh, I'm saying. We'll come back to that. So, because actually that all comes into <laughs> So, in the beginning, uh, well, I'll never forget when I was telling my father, you know, about kind of doing some stuff with the Catholic Church. He said, be careful, they'll try to convert you. And <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> he was right. But he was right, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he didn't really know, you know, all the, the details and, um, and so when I you know, mentioned that I was becoming Catholic, I, I really, my, my mother was fine with it, and my father too. And I really think it was because at the time I was the only child really going to church, right? So, yeah. <laughs> somewhere. And, and even though my parents, they grew up in Union, South Carolina, they didn't have any uh, real you know, bigotry against Catholics. Right. I don't know how they missed it. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. right. But, but they didn't. My mother, you know, you know was, uh, had said she always, you know, was very open to that. And she had a couple of questions she wanted to clarify, you know. Uh, a good Mary question, not a accusatory one, right? Yeah. And um, so we got through that, and and they were fine with that. So when you told yeah. them that you were going to seminary, you, you wanted to be a priest. Yeah, that one was a little more right. So <laughs> how did they how did they respond to that? Well, so I I, I decided to do divide and conquer, right? So I, I talked to them separately, and of course I, I knew you need to talk to your mother first, right? right. So mm -hmm. I talked to my mom first. And so I got her alone uh, one night. It was just the two of us. She was watching TV. I sat on the hearth of the fireplace. And, and I just, you know, I just told her, I said, well, I guess, you know, you remember the Gillette commercial yes. way back when that said, you know, I liked it so much about the company. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Gillette. But anyway. Yeah, it was Gillette. Yeah. So she's there. She's, you know, happily watching television. And I mentioned to her, well, you know how I recently, you know, became Catholic and all that. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, I said, well. I liked it so much, I uh, decided by the company, and I said, I you know, want to become a priest. Just silence, right? Just absolute silence. And I'm not sure how long the silence went on. In my mind, I think it actually, I had to bring it up the next day, right? <laughs> because, uh, and, you know, what's, what's interesting is that um, the Holy Spirit at work uh, constantly, she, um, she immediately compared it to marriage, right? Mm -hmm. and which is always the way I've thought about it. You know, this is a... You know, my, my parish, these are my children, and so as a father, I take care of my children, and, you know, I get really involved that way. Um, and so she wanted, you know, she knew I was still young, right, and wanted me to be sure, because marriage, and in this case, she knew enough about this, that it's a huge commitment. And, um, and, and then she said, too, well, you know, we've already paid for college, we're not going to pay for anything else. <laughs> so she wouldn't have to worry about that part, and so... So then I went to have lunch with my dad, and I uh, mentioned it to him. I was, actually, I was going to mention it to him, and so he, he had just gotten a promotion, and he was just talking all about it, and he was very excited about it. Finally, I had to stop him and tell him, and he said, okay, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and he, so he went back to talking about his, uh, uh, his work, new work, and I had to stop him again. I said, well, you know, because I, I really, I'll need a car and, you know, insurance, right? So <laughs> he said, okay, that'll be all right. You know, he said, sometimes I just think you want to be a student for the rest of your life. Because it was going to be, not only did I have one more year of college to finish, I still then would have six years of seminary, two years of pre-theology, and four years of uh, major theology. 
And uh, so I was in school for a long time, but you know, it, it worked out well. And how did and your, your brother, how did, how did they respond? And then one yeah. you said became a so, vegan. So the, the family in general, they, they were, they responded well, you know, yeah. and uh, very supportive. Uh, other, you know, my other, my, my sister Robin began to get more involved in where her church, she became Presbyterian. And, um, and then, so my, my brother, uh, one time I was home from seminary and he was going through a real difficult time. And, and so I, you know, I was talking to him and I told him, it's like, you know, I, I talked to you as a brother, but also, you know, also just feel like I have to talk to you as a seminarian, you know, somebody studying to, to serve the Lord. Right. And, and so I, I, I told him about a book, um, Catholic and Christian. And, uh, so he got it and he read it and, he had a, he had just had almost had a car accident. So uh, eighteen wheeler had run him off into the middle of the median uh, down near Charleston, I think. That's where he was living, and you know his life went you know went in front of his eyes, right? And so this you know created these huge questions of of identity. <laughs> and um, he read that, and uh, it began to just answer a lot of questions for him. And I didn't realize that he was he had been, become also that planted a seed for him. So he and my father came up for my graduation from seminary, uh, for my degree. And uh, I remember my, uh, the rector of my seminary saying, you know, your brother is like way too interested in all this, you know, and then as he was, you know, they were also for my ordination. And um, right after my ordination, my brother called to have lunch. And which we're, we're really not a family that goes and does lunch, right? So it was odd to begin with. So the Tuesday after my ordination, um, there with my brother, and he says, I want to become Catholic. <laughs> wow. wow, that's awesome. So, so yeah. that, that's awesome. Um, so where did you end up going to seminary? Where did, they, where did the diocese send you? So we, the diocese was looking at a few new places uh, and they had been using a couple of old places. And so I actually went and looked at you know, a couple of places and came back. They eventually sent me to St. Vincent Seminary in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Mm. It's, uh, it's kind of a fourfold thing. It's a seminary, it's a monastery, Benedictine monastery. It's a regular parish as well, and a four-year uh, college. So it's and, and they also have a brewery there, right? And there's a brewery. There was a brewery. Okay, okay. Yeah. The, the brewery moved <laughs> At out. At one time, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when we were there, and any time we had a, any thing, they, a little, they got a little uh, quarter keg, you know. Was there a person there at seminary that was, uh, that was a formator that, that challenged you? Um, or that encourage you in this vocation that you you think back of fondly? Right. And... Oh yeah, I had, there were several really. Um, you know, especially Father Tom Acklin. He was the rector when I got there. Uh, when I visited, uh, it was <laughs> I just showed up and I, I walked into the church, which is beautiful. And I came back out and I was looking to where to go, and this monk comes by and and he finds out who I am and he says, "Oh, well, you know, I'm Father Tom. I'm the rector." And, and he's and he grabbed my luggage and started carrying it for me, and I was, wow. I was trying to get it away from him. And he's like, "No, no, no, you know, Benedictines have hospitality. This is what we do." Yes. And and so he was really the first one I met, yeah. and he ended up being you know, one of the greatest influences, along with uh, Father Kurt Bessel, uh, Father Father Justin, and and one of the diocesan priests who uh, also worked there, um, Father um, William Fay, Father Fay. Would you say there's um, some ways that the Benedictine spirituality has uh, has stuck with you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, there were so many other Benedictines I could name, uh, really. Um, and just there's something about the rule of St. Benedict. I mean, it's, you know, it's been around for 1,500 years. And, you know, uh, uh, to, to quote Walker Percy, the only thing more remarkable is that more people don't find it remarkable that it's been around for 1,500 years and it's still you know, satisfying, you know, people having a calling, you know, to follow God. It's just a well-balanced rule. Uh, you can apply it even to lay life, you know, in, in many ways and all of that. Um, there's just something about the Benedictine spirituality in particular uh, that I, you know, I still kind of keep deep in my heart. I feel like I have a little monk inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say to a, a young man or a young lady who is thinking about religious or life or to be a priest, um, what would you say about where to start with discernment and and, yeah. and, and what would you what would you advise them? How would you help them just right. begin 
Because your story is different from so many other stories. It is, and, yeah. But I think they're all unique. Um, but what would you what would you say? Yeah, they, they're all unique, but I think all of them are served in the same way at the end when it comes down to it. Um, you know, first of all, actual prayer. You know, like taking, not, you know, making time. You never find time in the day. you got to make it. Making that time to go and pray about it, to put it right before the Lord if you're really serious about it. And, and two, if you're not drawn to the Mass, you know, you probably don't have a vocation to consecrate your life or priesthood. You know, if, if the Mass is drawing you in a real way and you want to learn more and more about it, that's a great sign, you know, that you might have this vocation. Um, and then, you know, and, and try it out. I mean, there were guys, uh, gosh, my, my best friend, you know, is actually not a uh, uh, priest. He was somebody I met in seminary and we've just kept in touch. He, he ended up getting married. He has four children now. And <laughs> Um, but he had that time for him was in, incredibly important. It helped answer his questions, and he ended up going into you know teaching theology and everything. So, uh, and uh, many other guys that were there, and they they gave it a shot, and they realized it wasn't for them. But uh, so just to be open, really open, and even to take that leap. But ultimately, what I found is that um, you know if you have the vocation, there's nothing you can do to get away from it, and if you don't have it, there's nothing you can do that will create it. You know, certainly as I was thinking about it in those earliest days when I was in college, you know, I ran away from it, uh, you know, at least two big times, you know, <laughs> probably more. It just kind of waxed and waned. And each time it came back in a wave, it came back stronger and stronger and stronger. And you, I, just, I just couldn't get away from it. And You said two things, and one, one of them that really stands out to me is the prayer life. Yeah. The importance of having a strong prayer life. Um, we need that whether we're religious or priests or whatever. Just can you talk a little bit more about you know the importance of having a prayer life through discernment? Why? Why is it a balance to keep you balanced and keeping a relationship with Christ? Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Right. Um, right. It's you know the, the you know keeping that relationship, but ultimately you know the idea is that. You, you'll never grow a relationship if you're not talking to the person, right? You know, yeah. marriages where they stop talking to each other absolutely fail, right? And friendships, if you're not talking to each other, you're not going to be friends. Uh, and with God, if you're not talking to God, if you're not going to God in prayer, you're not going to hear his voice. You're not going to be able to, to know really what it is, you know? So um, you've got to have that, you know, first and foremost as a foundation, not only of discernment, but later on, I mean, just daily life um, that has to sustain you as a priest absolutely. if you're not praying daily if you don't have a strong life if you're not building that up um, you'll fall apart just like you would say in marriage right yeah yeah and actually yeah. one of the first things they the priests finally admit to that leave the priesthood and one of the first things they did was they stopped praying yeah. first the office or no first um, uh, private prayer kind of that you know, strong mental prayer and then the office and once you leave the divine liturgy the liturgy of the hour excuse me uh, then that's, you know. Yeah. The second thing you said... It becomes a job. Yeah. And this is not a job. Right. The second thing you said, which I think is real important, there's this pressure when somebody says they out themselves and they say, I'm going to seminary or I'm going to the convent. Yeah. It's that automatic pressure that comes from the people, the outside, saying, oh, you're going to be a priest or you're going to be a sister. It comes from a good place, too. And there's right. like that right. genuine excitement. Yeah. Right. But, but, I, sometimes, but I think, but I think yeah. you know... The way maybe in just the way you said it, we should respond as we are happy that you are discerning this. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and 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 what's a good way that we should, you know, when we come across somebody um, that is discerning this and has made that decision to go to the convent or go, go to um, the seminary? How 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 do we help somebody along? and support them without putting that pressure on, okay, you have to be a priest now, or you have to be a sister. <laughs> it's, it's a delicate line. I mean, you want to give them enough support that they feel like their people want them to do this, because that's part of, you know, part of answering the call is that God is, is affirming it through others, you know, as well, you know, affirming it ultimately through the church. Uh, but at the same time, um, sometimes people get, they feel so much pressure that they might continue longer than they would have even after they realized it wasn't their vocation. Um, so maybe, you know, what you were saying before is just that, you know, to be very supportive and, the, and, and talk about it as discernment, you know. 
And, and if God, if God is calling you to this, how wonderful that is, um, you know, but no matter what, you know, always kind of saying, but no matter what, you're, you know, I know that this experience is going to be helpful for your future understanding of where God is calling you. Sort of like your friend who yeah. you said is now a teacher of theology, has a wonderful family, and I'm yeah. sure is doing ministry and witnessing just, just in that way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, I, that's just something I see with young people is like we put that pressure on them. And I think Bishop Ulamone is very good at saying, you know, you're discerning, we're discerning. Yeah. The church is discerning you and your call, and you're discerning your call um, with, with the Lord and where the Lord's calling you. And I just think that's real important that I think it's great that we have young men, young women that go to the convent, go to the seminary, even if they just go for a couple of years because right. when they leave, right. The gifts that they can come back and give to the church. So um, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So what do you what do you love about being a priest? Gosh, what do I love about being a priest? Uh, everything. <laughs> um, everything. Yeah. It's just. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't like the some letters that I get, but most of them are. You know, those are. <laughs> yeah. Stop writing. You don't those, get some of those letters. Do stop you? writing those, Deacon Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> But they are, you know, when you really take a look at it, they're far outweighed by the absolute incredible support that the people give. And so ultimately, I mean, it does come down to there's a real, you know, sense of fatherhood and family. Uh, and that's what I've that's what I've grown to appreciate more and more as I've gotten older and more, you know, deeper into my own priesthood after 20 years. Uh, you know, it's a significant amount of time now. Right. Um I would love to think I still had the, the incredible zeal I had to do a thousand things when I first started, you know, have Bible studies all over Charleston and whatever, but uh, uh, I still, you know, have energy, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's much more kind of settled into a fatherly role now. What's the most difficult thing about being a priest? Well, that may be different for every, you know, every priest. Uh, you know, certainly for me, it's just, you know, just always wanting to make the right decision for people who are struggling. Uh, you know, did I, did I listen well enough? Yes. Did, I, did I pray enough over it to help them? And, and the, you know, the other most difficult part is having to tell people something they don't want to hear. You know, when they really are off base and you want to be pastoral and you want to help them, but sometimes the most pastoral thing you can do is to tell them, you know, the path you're on isn't the right one. You know, and um, the church is not wrong in her teaching. <laughs> You know, those kind of things. And it's hard to do because you want everybody wants to be liked. Um, but we have to overcome that uh, in order to do the truth, to do the right thing. Right. Would you say uh, or in what ways would you say that, that people misunderstand uh, priests? Uh, some some misunderstanding is that we uh, work on the weekend. Only? <laughs> you don't? I, I, I play golf the rest of the week. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot that goes in a in a in a parish. Once it gets to a certain you know size, especially there's there's a lot that goes on throughout the week, and and people, you know, they they want their their father to be there at their meetings and their uh, other events, and you know, not just daily mass, but outside of that, and you know, lots of meetings, you know, counseling in the office and things like that and, and other things. So um, it's uh, just the misunderstanding is that we, you know, that we have not educated enough, you know, to do what we're doing. And, <laughs> and that uh, uh, because anybody can read uh, books on theology, they don't realize what we actually, you know, went to school for this, right? right? Six years, in fact. Um, and, yeah, you know, just always trying to do the right thing. You know. Sort of jumping off that a little bit, um, priests are asked to do a lot at a parish. I mean, yeah. you're asked to wear a lot of different hats and a lot of different roles um, from being a teacher, a contractor, um, a finance person, yeah. um, a builder, um, and I'm, I'm sure uh, a, a full-time counselor. Um, you probably didn't get a lot of, of education in the seminary and all those things. Um, <laughs> so, so how do you navigate that? How do you deal with um, all those different things? For example, you 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 process of building a church, and right. and you know I, I don't know your background. Well, I do now. You're a biology, so you're not a builder. <laughs> um, Engineering so, is not there, right? So, I mean, <laughs> so how how do you navigate all that? You know, it's I I use the Mother Teresa technique. 
that if it's God's will, it'll happen. If it's not his will, there's nothing you can do to make it happen. And uh, so I came here and they needed to, you know, get this church underway. And, and, you know, immediately, you know, just in the reading of the Psalms, right, and praying of the Psalms, uh, there's that one phrase that stuck out, and it was what I put at the end of my letter to everyone as we were doing the, the capital campaign, was that, you know, um, if God does not build the house, in vain do the builders labor. Mm. You know, and, and that's just, you know, that was the theme. And so as, as I first got here, I just started that, knowing that that's what was going to have to happen. And that I had no experience. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I had done a lot of reading on church buildings and, and, and things like that, because I'm very interested in liturgy and, you know, building and the building itself and liturgy are intimately connected. So you right. need to, you know, right. learn a lot about those kind of things. And I'm just generally interested in history, you know, mm -hmm. like how buildings came about and, and you know, where, how they changed over time. And I've just... You know, always enjoyed that. When I was at St. Vincent's, I would give a tour of their basilica, you know, and I just ended up doing that. People started asking me questions about it, and I found out answers and enjoyed it. So, What surprised you about that uh, church building process? Uh, what surprised me was just how detailed it is. So I went on a sabbatical afterwards because I absolutely needed it. But even with the absolute incredible support of the parish, you know, we had the, the building committee was phenomenal. I mean, we're Aiken is blessed. We have tons of engineers around, right? Some people might not think that's great, but it was great for me, right? Um, Do yeah, you they, speak engineering? I don't. And so they had to speak for me. They had to, they had to translate for me. And, and, and they were just wonderful, right? And, and so um, in you know, finance council, all the things that have to come together parish council to make you know these things happen and so it really is it's a work of the people uh, in that sense a, a, another kind of liturgy if you will you know, this work of the people in order to get this done because if they didn't want it it wouldn't have happened right and so um so I had a lot of education on myself and all of that and then as you as i mentioned before and you talking about how god pulls everything from your background i had been to a couple of liturgy conferences and i had met this uh, architect named uh, james mccrary and um you know, had, you know, really hit it off well, and we were, you know, talking about church architecture, and, and come to find, you know, come in the end, he became our architect, even though we interviewed uh, a few, uh, he in the end was the one, we went there, then he was just perfect for what we needed, and, um, and this would be a phenomenal job, but anyway, so just learning through him, and uh, it was just a great sharing of ideas, and I don't know, it's just, it was a remarkable process, and, and I always pray that, you know, everyone, you know, is, is happy with the result. So. I, um, so you build this church, and, and what I find fascinating is that, yeah, you went and took a sabbatical or a vacation, if you will, but you didn't take a normal um, sabbatical or vacation, if you will. You would you think that after doing this, you would find some place where you could sleep for a long time and relax <laughs> by the water or something like that. But you decided that um, uh, that you were going to go and, and walk the Camino. First of all, what yeah. is the Camino? And then tell us right. why in the world did you do that? Sure. <laughs> so the, the Camino, uh, the word uh, means way uh, in, in Spanish. It's the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. And it's an ancient pilgrimage path that goes across... It, it really comes in all different directions uh, in Spain, ultimately to finally to this one place, this basilica, uh, where St. James the Greater is buried uh, in, in Santiago de Compostela. And so that's, that's so this, the Camino, really there are Caminos, there are several. But the most, I did the most popular one, which was the Camino Frances, which goes across the top part of Spain. Not the northernmost trek, but it's the most famous. Um, you know, St. Francis of Assisi ended up on it, and all kinds of people from history, and um, incredible you know, history. Uh, so, uh, so after, you know, the, um, uh, the building and a couple of months went by, and uh, I'd been preparing for this for a while, uh, at first it was a, I did a short sabbatical, just three and a half months. And uh, so I first went to the Holy Land uh, for a month uh, uh, for a program there, and which was absolutely phenomenal. The program led us through, it was just for priests. We went from Jesus's, you know, conception all the way, you know, through ascension and, 
and Pentecost and every place, and we're able to go and spend time at all of these places. So that was really great. I had about a week to uh, visit a couple of people I happen to know in different places, and then, um, and then I started the Camino. So I decided to, just on a lark, to, uh, I, I picked up my, I had sent ahead of time my, my backpack, because that's all you, I was going to carry, and I sent home all of my luggage. I shipped it all back, and so all I had was my backpack. And Did you my... put anything in the backpack? <laughs> oh yes, yes, there was oh. a. <laughs> yeah, it's a light a slider that way. <laughs> so, you know, basically uh, three three changes of clothes. Uh, so that way, well, one that you had on, and then two, and then two, in your pack. I had a sleeping bag just in case. Um, and I'll tell you about how it, how it works because you don't normally sleep outside or anything. You you go through a series of towns and you stay in towns, you know, on the way. The way the Camino. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Father Alan Burgess, uh, he's a priest uh, outside of London, who got my pack for me, received it there, and then gave it to me, and then helped me ship back the rest of my luggage. I took a train uh, from from London to, to Paris uh, through the Channel, which was kind of fun, uh, and then from Paris down to Lourdes, mm -hmm. and I just decided I don't know why I would just get off the train at Lourdes and start walking. I'd always wanted to see Lourdes, and um, so I, I got spent the night in Lourdes, uh, did a little looking around and all that, and then had no idea where I was going and, and hit the road. Um, but luckily, God sends you little angels, right? And so I met a guy from Sweden right away, uh, who was also doing the same thing. Uh, he got lost, and so I was showing him uh, a path that I didn't really know. Uh, but he, what he did, he got lost even though he had a guidebook. You know, It was in French, but we both figured it out. He spoke some French. So you're always the pastor leading right. people. There you leading, go. Leading. Leading. So uh, we, you know, I, uh, we, we didn't stay together the whole time um, because you don't often do that you know, uh, with everyone. But he needed more uh, pauses than I did. So eventually I uh, went up the spine of the Pyrenees uh, and ended up at Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port and Pour, anyway. And then uh, I spent a little time there and then crossed over into Spain and did the Camino Frances. So I la had left uh, Lourdes October, uh, August 21st of 2015 and arrived um, in Santiago the day before my birthday, October 13th. And so then on the 14th, I went to the Pilgrim Mass and uh, so for my birth, it was my birthday gift for myself. <laughs> well, were you expecting to get something out of it, or was there a reason that you could share why you would, you yeah you did that? So I, I well a long time ago, um, a guy who's now a priest, Michael Sellers, uh, Father Sellers, he and I had been talking about the Camino. We were going to go do it. Of course, then when I decided to do it, he was in seminary and couldn't, <laughs> and so I decided to do it uh, uh, at least to begin alone. And, and, but I wanted to do it as a, as a, as a thanksgiving. Um, I'd asked St. James for prayers for the building of the church. Oh, wow. And this was uh, an act of thanksgiving to go. And so on, when you're going on the Camino, there's a, at one point there's this thing of stones and you leave a stone behind, uh, you know, showing that you're, you've been carrying a burden, you know, your sins usually. And you're and you're leaving it behind, and it's you know getting toward an end of uh, toward the city, toward the basilica. Uh, so I actually carried uh, two stones, and uh, one was my own, right, and another was a, a chunk uh, from the that had broken off from the front of the limestone uh, facade of the new oh, church, oh, wow. and I you know scratched on it St. Mary's Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I left that there as well because um, wow. that was it was really a part of uh, carried the parish with me uh, and I really did um, um, one wonderful lady from our parish um, had the idea of signing everyone up so Anne is her name and she had the idea of signing everyone up uh, to walk with me uh, during the day so while every day uh, from she started the calendar from September 1st on to the end uh, people had signed up to do a mile or however long they wanted to walk here in Aiken so they would we wow. would be walking together cool. so you're yeah. really walking with your parish even though you're, yeah. so you're over in, in Spain yeah know, and perhaps. actually uh, also too and so before I left we had a little reception and I had them write down intentions that they wanted me to take both for the Holy Land because I was going right. there but also you know on the Camino and and I would I just constantly was just reading through those intentions uh, as I went along. How how did this change you? I mean, it sounds like it really was a profound um, experience. So yeah, well, 
It's yeah, it did change me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. One one, it made me a little more outgoing because you know when you're in a country, you don't know the <laughs> language. Because I started in France and yeah. I don't know French, right? Uh, I feel like I barely know Spanish, but uh, I certainly don't know French. And so you have to just kind of, you know, if you need water, you gotta you gotta learn how to do it, and you gotta be, you know, you gotta go out and ask for it. So I got past some of that when I was just able to kind of, you know, talk with people more and. Um, get over some of that, you know, initial shyness. Um, uh, but also just, you know, spiritually, just, you know, how little we actually need. I just had a backpack for, you know, a month and a half. And, um, I mean, yes, I did have, you know, some, some cash to be able to, right. you know, right. pay for my hostels and stuff. Yeah. But uh, the food was inexpensive because they had pilgrim menus and everything like that. And, like, just as far as possessions, you know, how little we actually do need. And so I came back with a great sense of, you know, a freedom from uh, attachments or those the things, um, and I still have to, you know, we all have to work with that because they can creep back in, right? You know, um, I love my Jeep, right? So I need to, and so, and my philosophy professor at St. Vincent's would tell me, well, you can't love a thing, you know, you can like a thing, but you can only love a person because they they can't a thing can't love you back. But anyway, um, I. I don't know, just profoundly changed by that. And also um, uh, having carried the people's intentions with me. And so as I'm going, I'm thinking about them, knowing they're also walking with me. It created a deeper bond uh, with the parish, uh, a much deeper. And I, I will um, um, add on to that, that some of your parishioners that I've talked to said they, they saw a, a difference in the way, not that anything was bad before but just saw <laughs> just saw uh, uh more outgoing but also um more of um family coming together in the yeah. way that you interacted and um were just they were they were just saying the joy that you had not that you didn't have before but there was just something different about you when they when they yeah. encountered you after that so i just wanted to pass that along oh that's, that's interesting that people could see it yeah 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 <laughs> And I think I, I, I think that's amazing. Just this um, that the uh, that as a pastor, as a priest, the parish is part of your your spirituality, and and, and there's there's something that that there, there there really isn't another way to do it. Right. 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 There's that, not that that, yeah. uh, that that those that you're ministering with and to have to be a part of your your prayer life right you know because I mean it's it, you know I meditated on a long time ago and still do today you know, Jesus said you know unless you leave you know father mother wife brother you know children all this you would I mean when you leave that you gain all that and more and so you know I these these people really are wherever I am that's where my family is you know and and my Blood family understands that. You know, they're very forgiving of me, you know, not being able to make a lot of holidays or, or not being there, you know, when I when they are. But um, uh, because uh, I think they know too that you know, this is the commitment that Christ to be Christ for a community, you know, is to be their you know, their father. So when you come to the end of your life, and hopefully that won't be soon, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you hope people say uh, about you, or what do you, what do you, what do you wish to be your enduring um, legacy? Legacy. Um, just that I was a good priest, you know. Uh, really, that's you know ultimately what I, I hope that people remember that I did my best, you know, and that I, I really tried hard to bring Christ as a priest uh, to the people that I was was given as a flock. Amen. So now we get to do what we call speed round. So <laughs> we're going to ask you a question. We're just going to ask you to answer as, um, as quick as you can. We only have a minute for about 15 questions. Oh, wow. Um, so we're going to start. Speed round begins. Favorite dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really bad at this, by the way. I should let you know ahead of time. Um, almost anything Italian. Okay. <laughs> Favorite type of music genre? Uh, classical. Yeah. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite saint? 
Oh, Mother Teresa. Favorite drink? Uh, <laughs> Bishop, he said what? Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. So, yeah, so okay. Good. Yeah, so uh, Woodford. Uh, it's a bourbon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot? Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, just, uh, yeah, um, okay. Like I said, I'm not good at this. Pass. We said we were going to talk about vocations, not yeah. vocations. <laughs> Dog or cat person? Neither. Okay. <laughs> I grew up with both. Yeah. But, uh, Favorite scripture? <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah, Christian. There, the Bible. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the Good Shepherd is really the okay. Jesus uh, in John's Gospel talks about being the Good Shepherd. Okay, I'm the Good Shepherd. Favorite time of history? Uh, actually, I, I really you know enjoy the those early formation days of the church. Yeah. Okay. Favorite book? I have to say the Bible. I know, and uh... <laughs> you're allowed another one if you have another one. Uh, I can't really think of a favorite one right now. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, mountains. Or beach? Mountains. <laughs> Favorite sports team or sport? Uh, you know, I uh, really don't do a lot of that. Okay. Uh, I kind of do a lot of individual stuff, hiking and stuff. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite place to eat? Um, people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> where you're not cooking, right? That, that's what you wanted to say, where you're not cooking. Okay, the last one. If you weren't a priest, what would you be doing? I can't imagine anything else. I'd be... I've thought about that before. I just can't imagine anything else. So. Well, Father Wilson, we're so glad you were able to spend this time with you and, and, and hopefully people get a better understanding of who you are and where you're from. And, and um, a couple words that just stick out to me um, that, I, that I sense with you is, is the word prayer, how important prayer is. And, and it's the key to us as, as Christians, as Christ followers, um, but also um, how it sustains you. And I see that as you speak about that. And then the second thing I would say is family, how important family is to you. Um, just as you said that over and over um, from your immediate family and then the parish family. And, um, and I, I just think those are two key points of being a good shepherd. And so we want to thank you for the time that you um, have have given to the people of the Diocese of Charleston over these 20 years, actually probably more than that because the seminary, um, you were giving. <laughs> and um, so we're just very appreciative of you and, and all that you do and know that you're in our prayers and we thank you um, for your, your gift of, of being a shepherd and, and laying your life down. And it's, you sound like you're living out what Pope Francis says, know the smell of your sheep. Oh. And it sounds like <laughs> that you do know that. And um, so we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, wasn't thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, and uh, thank all of you for listening in. And uh, join us next time on In Step as we walk with those who walk with us. Mm -hmm.